Where have you been, dirty girl? I've needed you so badly. Why did it take so effing long for you to come out with new episodes? What the hell? Hi everyone, it's me. Sorry it took so long. Um, I wish I had an excuse, but I was just really depressed. <laughs> and then there was a pandemic, but you know that already. Um, in this episode, the men interview me and they say, yo girl, why does everything take us so long? And I say, boys, I'm so sad I can't get out of bed. <sighs> and then we get through it together. Okay, enjoy. Um, Welcome to Dirty Girl. We're back. If you're comfortable with it, I would love to extend that conversation you guys had that I wasn't there and talk about depression. What about depression? Do you want where was that come? I don't remember. That. Uh, I think you guys were talking about. I don't know. It was a conversation that you talked about. Um, we never did it all together. What we were talking about was, um, let's just like call it out. Let's address it. Dirty Girl 3.0. It's been some months. And what happens in terms of uh, time without content is friggin' life gets in the way. And this is a very real thing. And there's like factors that go about it. Uh, and we were proposing we just have like a real and raw conversation about like what's going on in, in life. Basically depression and like the effects of depression on the creative process and stuff like that. Love that. Yeah. So we ended season two end of July, August. Exactly. Who knows? <laughs> and for months, the three of you have been doing the right thing and trying to get the ball rolling and I just couldn't. And part of it, I mean, the, the excuse is being busy. Um, I had, I had moved, I had quit my job all within like a week. So I was trying to figure out how to stay afloat and how, you know, I finally found a place to live and it was all good. And then I did that and you're like, okay, now what? And then it was like, well, now I need to do, and that is true, but it was also just a shit ton of depression and an inability to get out of bed and an inability to shower. Um, even yesterday, I, like my excuse is, oh, I'm too busy. I don't have enough time. But there are plenty of days where I have so much time and that time is spent hating myself. Uh I think I've shared this on the podcast before that I am in psychotherapy. So I go to therapy four times a week and I have been since 2016. So about four years. How many times a week? Four. And is that, no, there's, there's no usual, there's no, there's no normal, whatever, but like, does that feel like a good amount for you? Um, at first, I started at once a week, and then my therapist pretty quickly suggested going up to twice. And then it was only, it was like four months in where he suggested psychotherapy at that level. And I felt... What is the difference between regular therapy and psychotherapy? Good question. I think it's just, I think it's the amount of time. The amount of times you're doing it? I believe so. On top of, um, like it's not, the approach isn't cognitive cognitive behavioral it's psychoanalytic at least my specific therapy is which if you ask me the difference oh um I forgot where I was going with cognitive behavioral is the typical therapy 
And this is psychoanalytical. Correct. So they're just different words. Uh, Have you found that um, since going since 2016, it's helped you? Yeah. So, um, so when my therapist recommended I go up to four days a week, I felt like such a broken piece of shit. And it was like, no one's ever going to love me. Even my therapist thinks I'm unsavable. You know, that negative Mm. self-talk, that, yeah, that voice in your head that tells you you're worthless heightened. Um, and before therapy, I wasn't able to distinguish that voice in my head. That voice in my head was just the truth. You know, you hear some, you hear the voice saying you're, you're unlovable. You're broken. You're look at all the garbage you've been through. No one would ever love you. That's your premise. And now that voice is still there. Um, much less loud, and I am able to distinguish it as depression and anxiety and, you know, some sort of sensor that's inhibiting me as opposed to hearing it as the absolute be-all, end-all. There's no helping it. Sure. Which is good. Yeah. Which is important to note, too, that even with all the work that you continue to do, it can still creep up and pop its head up and you need to acknowledge it and be aware that it's always there. It's not going to go away. And what tools and strategies and stuff like that do you have to combat it or, and, or live with it, cope with it? And that was really disappointing to understand. I thought you go to therapy for a little bit and then you get better. Right. And then the realization that, oh, no, this is a lifelong journey to mm-hmm. – there's no, there's no off switch. Yeah, I, you get better at being whoever you are. You get better you at coping. You get better, yeah, yeah. Because you can't. The trauma and the upbringing and nature and nurture and all that stuff doesn't go away, ever. Right. What what you went through and what tragedies have befallen you and how you've reacted to it. It's all in your chemistry in your brain, in your synapses. So you have to deal with how to rewire them slowly. Mm-hmm. which the moment you feel like you're at the top, you're at the pinnacle of health, something can fall out and you're like, oh shit. And it feels like everything has been worthless. And it's. Yeah. The first, <clears throat> it was maybe, I was in therapy for maybe like six or eight months. And I came in one day and I was like, I'm better. Yay. Like I feel better. And you know. And then, and then did they do like, a, oh, honey girl, sit down. Like essentially, you have no idea. Essentially. Like, Yes, you feel good, you feel better, but let's keep going. And I'm so happy he did because there's just so many things to work, so many layers. When when I was younger and first understood the concept of therapy or psychotherapy or cognitive, just you're like you go like you you picture a traditional uh, psychiatrist and you're on a couch like that's your picture. And I'm like, okay, if they have mental health, doesn't that just fix everybody? Like, there's still problems after that. Like, people don't just get fixed. And no, it's more of a process of continually coming to understand exactly what are your things, what are your what are, what are your isms, and then identifying your isms as you go about your life and be able to break patterns and react differently. And, like, half of that, for me, understanding that, is just listening to the way Dax talks about it. I like the way Dax talks about it. And what I'm um, 
curious about Dax Shepard is um the way I'm, what I was curious about is Ooh. like, do you feel how, how long has it been? So, so you said 2016, so it's been like three years, over three, prox since de- since therapy. Yeah. Um, 2016. 2016, 17, 18, four years, 1920. Yeah. Does it feel going in and having a full session four times a week? Does it does it feel like? Are you ever like again? Or are you always like, oh, there's we're still just scratching the surface. Like there's like this is always a good thing. Both. There are times where I go in and I'm like, I don't want to be here. Like this is hard. This sucks. <laughs> and uh and like I'm done talking about this shit. And then there are times where I miss a session or I like this week my therapist I think was out of town this weekend, so I couldn't see him Thursday. And, you know, logically, I'm like, well, I, that's fine. And then in the moment, I'm like, but, but come back. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, therapy has helped me. The way I can describe it is I've felt incredibly heavy and broken because of my past and my upbringing and my trauma and I was in these really self-destructive habits. Uh, uh, sexually, I would say, and uh, in other self-sabotaging ways. And um, I thought therapy was just going to be unloading my trauma and then I'd feel totally better and it'd be done. And what... That's like how it started. So I really unpacking my trauma and then recognizing how the trauma has influenced all my behaviors and given me all these defense mechanisms that no longer make sense, you know? So me having to be really uh, closed off and like a people pleaser made sense growing up because that was the environment I was in and that's how I felt safe. But then you grow up and you don't stop doing that. And so now I'm an adult doing those exact same things. And so we, you know, figure out what the trauma is, see the behavior, and then then it's my responsibility to change it. So it's it's not just like, when this happened to me, it's when this happened to me, what the fuck am I gonna do about it? Which is hard. It's a lot of, a lot of work. <laughs> a few months ago, you were finally resolving a shitty apartment situation after several months, and you made a decision to leave a job that was not, um, not cutting it, or, or for, for whatever reason. And and it sounded like all that just sort of converged all at once, and you like made a new, um, you know, step on new truly- foot. It was truly. It was truly the, the day after. It was two days in a row. Yeah, I quit my job and moved. It, it may, maybe that is a good example, but if not that, do you have another example of just something in the last couple of years that you've identified where talking it out and identifying um, patterns, identifying behaviors helped you, like like gave you knowledge, gave you insight to like make a, a positive decision or like, or change some behavior. Do you have an example of that? Yeah. So outside of college, um, 
I, so this is, okay, so talking about the sexual stuff. Um, in college, I was very much, just, just not even in college. How do I, this is so hard to verbalize. Um, I would, I didn't want intimacy. I just wanted sex. And then I would pursue sex with someone and then eventually be like, why don't you love me? And they'd be like, what? I thought this was just sex. And then I'd be like, oh, you don't love me. That's proof that I'm unlovable. And I, you know, that's a harsh way of saying it, but it, I was time and time again chasing men that weren't interested or willing or available and then using that as proof to fulfill my own assumptions about myself that I'm unlovable. So does that make sense? Sure. So yeah. after college, I was with a guy who was a coworker of mine and he was so hot, <laughs> but uh, just like truly was unavailable. Like he had just, he had been in like a couple serious relationships, wasn't interested. He had like gotten out of jail. He was, didn't have a car. So I was like driving his ass around town. Um, he didn't even have like his own apartment. He was like sleeping, subleasing some guy, um, just not available. <laughs> and I just wanted him so bad. And I knew he was like sleeping with other women and I didn't care. And uh, we hooked up, I can't even say dated cause we didn't really date, but we were like spent so much time together for a year and a half. And multiple times I was like, what the fuck are we doing? You know, are we together or not? And he would be honest and say, no. And I would take that as like, of course we're not because I'm broken and you don't love, like no one will ever love me. And, you know, as opposed to just being like, this guy's kind of a fuck boy, <laughs> number one. And also I don't think it's wrong for him to not be interested. Like, is he just, he was, he was being honest. I was the one that was trying to fix him or trying to, you know, trying to force something to happen because I was so desperate for that validation. And through therapy, I've, you know, recognized that in myself and I've, I don't know what my self-worth increased tremendously. And now the person I'm dating have been in a relationship with for a year and a half is the most loving, respectful, willing to put in 110%, like the partner I've always dreamed of. I just wasn't really open to it. I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I don't know how to explain it any better either, but. Has anybody else had a, I think like that? everyone here has been to therapy except me, if I'm not correct. Right? You guys have? I'm the only one that hasn't. Yes. Do you, are you interested in doing it? <clears throat> I think one day, yeah. Um, I don't see the immediate need yet, um, but I definitely do 
want to do it, but it's purely a financial thing. If I had the finances now to fund it, I would. Because, of course, it's beneficial. But I'm not like, oh, I really feel like I'm in a place where I do need to talk something through. I was talking to myself all day. My therapist is giving me an insane discount. Really? <laughs> I'm paying dirt for what I'm receiving. and I'm, That's amazing. It's, yeah. I It's probably because I've been with him for a couple, quite a few years. Does, does their sliding scale just go down that far? Or is it like, nope, like he assessed everything and was like, I'm the one who recommended four times a week. And he encouraged that. It's probably a bit of both. Right now it's sort of pay what you can. Mm. And I can't pay a lot. And I Yeah. And I have a so lot of a. I have a lot of guilt around that. And he was like, Okay, good. That's a motivator to book that movie so you can pay me my full rate. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> I would love to. Did you speaking about that, because health like healthcare, specifically mental health care, is usually not cheap. Affordable ways to have it is awesome and necessary. Any y'all ever do like talk space or better? What, I don't. I forget what they're Head called. Space. Something the meditation like that. app. No, the, no, no, um, no, the therapy like a app. therapy online. Oh, there's a you like you pay. I think it's like sixty five bucks a, a week, and you can basically text with a therapist like twenty four hours a day. Wow. Did you guys listen to that Chloe Grace Moretz fictional podcast? No, she did a fiction podcast. Yes, it's interesting, but what's it called? Where is it? It's called Gaslight. Oh, oh yeah, that, that sounds good. Who, did, who produced it? Uh, it's Chloe, Chloe Grace Moretz. No, I, I don't know who produced it. But uh, she, I, I, would, I think it's bizarre because it's it's like, Gaslight is sponsored by Talkspace. And then it's oh. sort of about like this therapist figure, like abusing these women. <laughs> wow. Like, oh. Why is Talkspace the, you know. Did they give like a disclaimer at the end? Like. Like sometimes this American life will be like if you're ever thinking about suicide, they'll like give you the hotline. They'll give you the hotline. Yeah. They give you something like that. Is that the purpose of it or? No, yeah. it's. I mean, it's not it's a really straight a, ad. It's it's a straight ad. Wow. At the beginning, she's like. No, I I think I think it plays. It it is funny. It is it is ironic, but but I think it's ultimately a a pretty good match of sponsor and content. Hint hint, everybody listening to Dirty Girl. Yeah. We are supportive. So are you tired of waiting in line at the post office? I'm curious with the relay. Oh, that's super cute. Oh, it changes. Wow. Part of me wants one, but I have so many. Mine is my. Oh, wait. Mine is a video. Wait, am I the only one without an Apple watch? No. No. But you have a watch. I'm the only one with bare wrists. Bouncing her, my niece on her, on her knee. And it does it every time you move it. Oh, that's adorbs. It moves. I'm, Hi, Dad. We'll throw it up on the feed after. I'm, I'm, I'm the only one with bare wrists. Thanks, so Dad. You, Thanks, Dad. Dad. <laughs> Dad, can we have... Thanks, Dad. Uh, so I have a Soup. question. Yeah. Um, maybe I can get to a question. But, like, the, the things you were talking about earlier relating to deciding to be an actor and, like, such a big part of this industry is, you know... Um, relying on what people think about you and your self-image and all of these things, I think. So I don't know what my question is, but I'm just curious about, like. At least you're honest about it. I, I'm, there's, the I'm, mental toughness and turmoil of this tenacity. This, it was the problems that you're, you were kind of facing with, you know, not feeling like anybody loved you or anything and then deciding to want to go be an actor where a lot of that's based on. What Criticism and rejection. Exactly, yeah. Getting I, somewhere there. 
I think something I struggle with in actor terms and my life is the people pleasing thing and going into an audition room and trying to give them what they want and trying really hard to like fit into what they want. And every time I've book something or I've found success, it's when I come in and I'm like, I don't give a fuck what you want. This is what I'm bringing. And that's what they want. They don't want you to try and, you know, but that's my, you know. You mean they don't, they don't want you to contort your, uh, your, your personality into some superficial, like fake thing. They, they want you to be genuine you. They brought you into the room to see how you do it not how you think, think you want them to do nah, it. You, yeah. And that's been hard for me because I'm just like, well, if you just tell me, I'll do whatever you want. I'll whatever do it. Want, I'll well, do it. I do it. I promise. And that's not interesting I to can anybody. be shorter or taller. <laughs> yeah. Which but, I think is why people like me, like living in my skin more now and like the head shave and the- I feel like the head shave was the origin story moment for Heather Ann Gottlieb. Like, like I feel like- Oh, here we go. Now now we're off to the races. Speaking of therapy, I uh, when I told my therapist I wanted to shave my head, he was not happy. Really? Why? And what say does he have in it? None. He's not your agent. Not not happy, but like he, you know. And to this day he's like, "Man, you were you were right. I was wrong." <laughs> um but I, I mean, I came in and I was like, I'm thinking about shaving my head. And it was so out of left field. You know, he's not in my head. He doesn't know I'm, I've been thinking about this or I want to look like this. And he was like, I can't remember what he, he said something like, well, I think this has to do with, you know, some of your gender stuff and it has to do with this and it, and it's this. And then I was like, I don't think so. I think I just want to shave my head. I think I just want to shave my head. And he's like, yes, but it could be all these things. I was like, you're right. It could be. I'm still going to do it. And he like, wasn't, he was like, wanted me to pump the brakes and which is fair. He, you know, he's not in my head. He doesn't know what I'm doing. And then I do it. And I'm like living in my skin so much more. And I'm like, this is me manifesting that like, I'm done trying to people please. You know, and he was like, yeah, to this day, he's like, you're never going to let me live that down because <laughs> it was weeks. No, your therapist was wrong about something and you were decidedly right. Why would you ever let them live that down? He's wrong about a lot of things. You know, we and so am I. And we, you know, that's an interesting dynamic where he can say, I think it's this. And I can say, I don't think so. Or I he can tell me something's happening and I'm like, no. And then you know, really working through it. And then 20 minutes later, I'm like, God damn it, you're right. Oh, that's what it is. So. How has, um, how has Dirty Girl process been for you with mental health and acting in the industry? Because we picked up Dirty Girl 2016, 2017. 17. You started therapy 2016, mm-hmm. finished school 20, mid twenty. 15. 2010s. I don't want to say it because I don't want to age anyone here. 18 to play younger. Tristan's 18. I'm 31. He's 31. I'm in my 20s. 18 to play younger. I'm skipping class for this, so. <laughs> Copy credit meal. <laughs> Is mom picking you up in an hour? It's dad's day. Uh, uh, dad. Dirty Girl was sort of born off of being done waiting for opportunities. 
you know, and I think that's the direction the industry is going in is people want to see what you're doing on your own time and like what you bring to the game. And it was, you know, God, I'm done sitting around waiting for somebody to tell me what I can or can't do if I if I can play this role, you know, and it's like, let's just do what I want to do. And thanks for doing it with me, guys. Yeah, because the end of last season, you asked us questions about our process of Dirty Girl and, and doing it as, I mean, three straight white men. How has it been for you working with us in turn? Fun. Are there any? Yeah. We're flipping the table. Now we're asking you questions. Starting season three. Do we live up to our what we should? Have we helped we, support how, how can we how can we grow? How can we learn? How can we change? Do we get our report card? What are we good at? Who's the cute one? Thank you for your patience with me as I ignore your text because I can't get out of bed and I'm so depressed and I haven't showered in three days. Um thank you for the persistence of forcing this meeting to happen because now we're in here and it's like, oh, fuck, why aren't we using this fucking space? Yeah, my favorite's the coffee table books on this shelf. Those are like those art books, you know, that just say they high just, class. There's no words inside. They just say style books. It's, it's just pictures Fashion of like, books. it's pictures of landscape. <laughs> art book. That's such and an age. It's just pictures of other coffee tables. <laughs> There's no words. What I'm going to do is I'm going to bring my vibrator, <laughs> some condoms. We know we need, we need a whole array of, uh, yeah. Dirty things. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Can we please? Oh, I now have perfect. two, uh, Put it right there on the coffee table. That my boyfriend's mom got me. So that your boyfriend's mom got you. That you can. What's a pee funnel? It's. So I want you to guess first. Yeah, I guess. My mind immediately goes to a sexual thing, but I don't think it's that. Describe. You think her boyfriend's mom bought her a sexual pee funnel? If she wouldn't have said boyfriend's mom, I would have been like, "That's definitely a sexual thing. It's a thing." But it is a thing (laughs) for people with vaginas. Oh sure. to, To pee into while standing. Oh, cool. That's so. a sick mom gift. Was it like, here, I figured about these out way too late. Like, oh, you she, need these. She is a big fan of Dirty Girl. Yeah? Really? That's an, that's an interesting thing. Gotta get her on the show. Shout out. On Mother's Day. I want like a mom's mini season. Oh, because they got like the questions and stories. the insight and the stories. So Mother's Day, we get Mother's Day brunch with his mom at the country club. This I've never been to a country club before. It was the most amazing, beautiful. You felt like you belonged there? No. <laughs> I'm garbage. You had imposter syndrome? <laughs> yes. And, uh, and you know, I'm sitting there eating my, like, whatever fancy eggs benedict. Just say foie gras. Oh, no, eggs benedict. Okay. And uh, she was like, so I listened to Dirty Girl. And I was like... <laughs> At a country club. <laughs> a country so club funny. at brunch oh. on Mother's Day. And then she was like, oh, yeah, I listened to all of it. Oh, my God. And what? I was like, oh, oh, God, oh. And uh, that's why she gave me the pee funnel. Wow. She that's was like, awesome. I have one of these. I actually have two. Take them. <laughs> <laughs> I have more at home. I'm not I'm using like, them. Do a giveaway. <laughs> these are old ones. And she has gotten her daughter, all of her daughter's <laughs> friends, and her friends to listen. Um, So Tammy, the woman whose house I've been to for Thanksgiving twice and um, Rosh Hashanah. That's one of them, yeah. And who you're going to Japan with? Well, his mom, yeah. Tammy's not coming to Japan. Oh, oh, I missed that, okay. Tammy's a fanny. Yeah, what do they they think? 
uh, they love it. Yeah, I like because I'd be hard pressed to hear him like, no, I listened to all of it. If it was like, a, no, I couldn't stand it from minute one. I, I just whoa. And now his dad is listening. Uh, and uh, I told, I texted him. There was an episode we did in season two where at the beginning I say like. My boyfriend like licks my clit and wants <laughs> to rape us. Wait, you didn't say no. I would remember if you said that. You didn't say that. Oh, I for sure did. It's oh in there. shit! Wants to what? He licks my clit and rates us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And uh, oh, and I texted my boyfriend and I was like, "Hey, I know your mom listens. Tell her to skip the first five minutes." <laughs> I don't know. If she, you know, <laughs> she didn't. And Jason texted all <laughs> his friends, listen to the first five minutes. I'm <laughs> badass. I'm back. Thank you to the incredible A3 Artists Agency, formerly Abrams, for letting us use their incredible podcast studio. And thank you, dirty friends, for being so patient with me. We're so thankful to have you. We hope you're staying safe and respecting social distancing. We'll see you next time. Do something dirty between them. Between them episodes. Be dirty for me, please. And thank you. Dirty Girl is produced by me, Heather Ann Gottlieb, along with Cameron Taggy, Tristan Bankston, and Alex Salem. We are distributed by the Hoo Ha Ha Podcast Network. Our logo was designed by Kevin Laughlin.